Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Get everything you need to know about a looming strike by some city of Hamilton workers. Find out why some home builders are canceling their projects. The Integrity Commissioner is investigating Ontario's premier again. The Ticats and Elks butt heads, and there are some new features that you'll want to try at the X. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We do recognize that the city, that a potential labor disruption will have an impact on communities and residents throughout the city and on services that Hamiltonians rely on um, that could be significantly reduced or suspended if negotiations are unsuccessful. That is the voice of City Manager Jeanette Smith. I will speak with her as well as HR Director Laura Fontana at 7.50 this morning. But now we're going to talk to the boss of the local union, uh, 5167, QP 5167, because they held a rally in front of Hamilton City Hall yesterday as a strike deadline is now just days away that could see 3,200 municipal workers walk off the job as of 12.01 a.m. on Monday. Jay Hunter is the president of QP Local 5167 and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Jay, good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are your members feeling? Are they... Are they worried? Are they angry? Are they optimistic? What, what's the mood like right now? Well, they're optimistic. We're hoping to get a, a ratify a collective agreement, get a fair deal, a good wage increase. And they're angry. They're, they feel undervalued. They're, they're waiting for the employer to come to the table on Friday to meet us and get a, a good wage increase. How much of that undervalued feeling is associated with the fact that some non-union workers at City Hall did get a pay raise and something, I guess, a number that you are looking for as well? Well, it is a part of it. We would still be standing here saying the same thing. You know, the weight of inflation has been been big, and we've taken a 7% drop in the last two years based on the collective agreement uh, increase that we had. So... Uh, that just adds insult to injury, and we've heard that some of the uh, other non-union people had a 10.76% increase now. So we've asked for a little clarification so that we have a better understanding of who has been given what increases. How close do you want to get to that 107 or, or whatever the number actually is? Well, we're looking for a four-year deal, so we, we, we hope to see some kind of an increase that covers each year uh, and, and would cover a lot of the uh, increases that we're looking for. How much is this too that, you know, d- during COVID, I mean, your, your members were out in the community, you know, in, in some respects, trying to keep individuals safe, doing things that uh, other people, I guess, weren't willing to do, you know, uh, offering important service that you do. How much of it is, I guess, getting a reward or just maybe a pat on the back to say, hey, great job during what was a, a really tough time? Well, we did have bring the community through COVID, and a lot of members, it was very difficult. Uh, there was uh, the vaccination issue for, for people on both sides of the issue, and uh, you know we had to be on the front line. Many members uh, were on the front line and had no choice, had to work. So when it comes to, and by the way, we're chatting with Jay Hunter, the president of Keepy Local 5167, uh, 3,200 municipal workers in this city could be off the job as of 12.01 a.m. on Monday. If you had to wager a guess on whether or not your members will be on strike on Monday, would you bet yes or no? Where are you leaning right now? Well, the members are behind us, 95.3%. Uh, we, we sent a strong message yesterday. As you can see, the rally was massive. We had labor leaders from a variety of different unions, but we also had uh, QP leadership from across the country, our national president, our 
provincial president and uh, Laura Walton, of course, was there uh, from OSBCU who, you know, helped push uh, Bill 28 and Doug Ford into uh, the, the repeal of that bill. So, uh, you know, it was a great rally and uh, the members are even stronger uh, and behind us even more so now. I know the last time we had you on was about oh, a couple of weeks or so ago and I asked you, you know, are you are you far apart? Are you somewhat close? Where, where do you stand right now? Well, we are still far apart, and that's uh, hasn't really changed much. We uh, had the conciliation on July twentieth and twenty first, and uh, basically that was it at that time when we filed our no board report to put us into the strike position. Is there anything we talked about? Some of the the issues that you have with what the city is offering, pay being you know one of those uh, elements. Is there anything within the negotiations that you do like? Uh, well, it's it's uh, there. There hasn't really been anything other than the wages. Our members are very clear. Uh, you know, get a, a good wage increase. So we focused on on wages in comparison to uh, benefits. Um, that's that's really where where it was about this whole round. Uh, nothing nothing uh, out of the ordinary. Let's talk about uh, the impact that a strike would have on city services. What will be impacted? Well, there's a long line of, of things. We we have four main departments, but you can name, uh, and it will take a second here to name them. There's uh, housing in Ontario works, although people will still get their checks. There's a process in, in for that, but the roads and the parks and the traffic and the forestry, uh, water, wastewater. Uh, we have people in the clerk's office. We have people in planning, and we have, well, City Hall, we have tourism, we have public health, we have uh, uh, the recreation department with splash pads, pools, uh, programming, seniors programming, customer contact center, uh, the community service centers across the, the city as well. Part of it is, and from what I understand, blue box collection will not be impacted. However, garbage collection will in a certain part of the city. Can you offer some clarification on who would be impacted in, in terms of waste collection? That's correct. The, the downtown and all the suburbs are done by our crews. So those uh, areas would be affected. Hamilton Mountain is covered by a contractor, and they uh, would be covering that. And, and just a little bit of information uh, we're actually paying I, at one time two million dollars a year more to have that contractor on the mountain compared to what we could do it in house. So there's a savings that we're hoping the the city can take a look at next time they look at the contract for uh, the contractor doing the garbage in the city. Jay, appreciate appreciate all the information. Uh, good luck with the negotiations. There are, really quickly, is there are there talks planned for today or, or into the weekend? We're into tomorrow. Uh, we have uh, the date set for tomorrow, and we're hoping that we have a deal. Well, best of luck. Let's hope that both sides come out uh, with a win-win scenario and we'll get uh, all these city services that we pay taxes for and we'll get to enjoy as well. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Rick. We don't want to strike, but we might have to. Jay Hunter is the president of QP Local 5167. You heard it from him. We don't want to strike, but we may have to. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're talking more about an impending strike 
potentially, fingers crossed it doesn't happen, by 3,200 municipal workers here in Hamilton. And we just heard from CUPE Local 5167 President Jay Hunter, who yesterday rallied with a bunch of others in front of Hamilton City Hall. They're going to try and keep some of the services uh, running. I think it'll be a different, difficult uh, endeavor with 3,200 of us. Yeah, if a strike does happen at 12.01 a.m. Monday, there are a number of city services that will be impacted. Laura Fontana is the executive director of human resources at the city of Hamilton and Jeanette Smith is the city of uh, city manager and both join us now on GMH. Laura and Jeanette, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Laura, we'll start with you. QP workers, according to Jay Hunter, are optimistic but angry with pay raises that non-union workers recently received. Talk a little bit about that and how negotiations are going. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, with respect to the the non-union uh, group that uh, Jay refers to, like we we were, we were facing significant recruitment and retention challenges, uh, and we had fallen behind um, relative to our our comparators. So, and and again, we were experiencing turnover rates around fourteen uh, percent, and we needed to to address that. But the uh, the the increases that Jay uh, refers to, um, the fifteen percent, is actually a, a small percentage of the non-union workforce and and they were really primarily in the lower classification so uh, the adjustment was made to align uh, the compensation with our our comparators and the higher rates were uh, for the lower uh, classifications but the broad range of increases were anywhere between that one percent and fifteen percent what kind of increase is the city able to afford um i'll jump into that uh uh, if that's okay, Rick, it really, it's a balancing act, right? We um, have re- recruitment and retention and want to be an employer choice as a priority as senior leadership as well as council. Um, and we want to make sure we are uh, being fair to our workers and balancing out with our um, our residents and businesses who pay taxes and, and making sure it's fair to them as well. That makes perfect sense. We're with Laura Fontana and Jeanette Smith, the Executive Director of Human Resources and the City Manager, respectively, with the City of Hamilton, as you listen to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, Jeanette, what what services will be impacted should these members go on strike on Monday? Um, thanks, Rick. It's, it's a large number, and I'm glad you asked that because it's really important that the public get onto our website and really look at it. Um, the impacts. So it is things like programs and services at our parks and rec centers, uh, animal services, bylaw enforcement, certain parts of the city, it'll be solid waste pickup, but you'll hear about uh, depots we're setting up uh, for them. It's our public health inspections, parking and enforcement. Um, our museums will be closed. Uh, marriage ceremonies won't be happening. And, um, so, and a number of uh, counter services as well at City Hall and Municipal Service Centers. So, really recommend the public go on our website. We'll keep updating it so they can make their contingency plans. I know some child care centers are also impacted in this. How many families would be impacted? Yeah, so it's our only our city-run child care service that is uh, directly impacted because we only operate one. And um, there may be some impacts 
depending on the services being provided at a parks and rec. Um, but that those are best to go on with that list online. If we can go back to Laura, Jay Hunter believes there you, you guys are far apart on getting a deal done. Would you agree or are you a little bit closer today than when you were when talks began in February? Um, so, Rick, I, I would uh, I would say, you know, we need to respect the uh, collective bargaining process and the folks that are at the table. You know, we continue to bargain in uh, good faith and we remain optimistic that we can achieve a, a freely negotiated agreement. So we're looking forward to meeting again tomorrow uh, with a view of, uh, of getting a deal uh, by the end of the day. And would you say that you're optimistic as well, that a deal is is achievable? A- absolutely. I, I think uh, I think we work together and uh, and work with what we have. Uh, a, a deal is, is certainly within our reach. And Jeanette, same question to you. How optimistic are you that a deal can be reached? I What I have seen as long as I've been here is that we have workers at the city that are so committed to providing residents to the uh, providing services to the residents and businesses in the city. And I think by sitting down at the table, we can get a deal. Well, let's hope a deal is done before 12.01 a.m. on Monday. Laura and Jeanette, thank you for your time today. Good luck. Thank you. Jeanette Jeanette Smith is the city manager with the city of Hamilton and Laura Fontana, the executive director of the HR department. A lot of work to be done. It sounds like uh, there's uh, at some point one or both sides will say, all right, let's let's settle on this. Let's hope that is before uh, the strike happens on Monday. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Home building once again on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. I know we did so a little bit yesterday, but there is there's another wrinkle to this home building process. And yes, we can all agree that we need more homes. Some of us agree that they should be in a particular part of a city. Others are saying, well, they should be somewhere else. Besides that, there is a real challenge ahead for home builders, and that is interest rates. In fact, 22%, according to a recent poll, 22% of Canadian home builders are canceling their projects because of those higher rates. And this all comes as we are staring at a severe housing crunch. Mike Collins-Williams is the CEO of the West End Home Builders Association and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mike, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Rick. Thank you for having me. How big of a challenge is these interest rate hikes that we've seen over the last year and a little bit? It's certainly one of the biggest challenges the industry's faced uh, in the last couple decades. You know, we we really are experiencing a perfect storm of the highest population growth the country's ever experienced, really, uh, which is driving demand uh, that we certainly need to build a lot more housing than we're currently building. Uh, but this is happening over a backdrop of um, inflation in terms of uh, the cost to actually build housing is up 54% uh, since 2019. And as you mentioned, the highest uh, interest rate environment we've had in about 20 years. The I'm not sure if this was the same scenario, but I'm just looking at uh, you know local examples of cancelled projects. The James Street condo project kind of comes to mind. I'm not sure if that's solely based on interest rates. I know cost was obviously a factor or, or rising costs. Can you think of any local projects that had to be axed because of interest rate hikes? Uh, typically, it's a variety of factors that result in a project cancellation, um, but the interest rate hikes are, you know, whether whether it's local here in Hamilton or or projects in Vancouver or Toronto, um, you know, you have to remember it's not just 
the consumers, the the home purchasers that are under pressure going to their banks and, uh, you know, looking at more rates that are twice what they were a few years ago and, you know, perhaps over a thousand potential carrying cost a month. The actual builders and developers, when they're building, you know, a couple hundred million dollar project and they're facing uh, interest rates in the seven, eight percent in terms of the borrowing cost versus two or three percent. Um, that adds millions and millions of dollars on an annual basis to the carrying cost, which, you know, at the end of the day, the the pro forma, the numbers, the math has to work. Otherwise, the project does not proceed. And that, that math is not working because there's no way they can pass on that kind of cost to the people who are buying the homes because those homes would be so unaffordable. And, and that's the crux of the issue. Um, you know, we need to build 1.5 million new homes in Ontario uh, over the next decade, just to keep up with population growth. And to do that, that basically means we need to double our housing production. And housing starts uh, over the last several months are, well, they're falling. Um, and it's a combination of these cancellations or just projects not coming to the market. And the math just is not working. And it's really a combination of the interest rates with much higher labor and material and construction costs than uh, we've ever experienced before. Um, my hope is that some of the pressure starts coming off of some of the labor and material costs. And, you know, I, it doesn't sound like the Bank of Canada is going to be reducing rates anytime so soon. So we are sort of in a new normal. Mike Collins-Williams is the CEO of the West End Home Builders Association and joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. As we have a couple more minutes talking about the challenges that home builders are facing both locally, provincially, nationally. Uh, we spoke yesterday to Alan Shaw, the Director of Housing here in Hamilton, about you know their, their goals for building homes in this community going from about 3,000 to nearly 6,000 a year. It, given the current financial climate, is that achievable? It's certainly an ambitious target, uh, and, and you know that sort of that particular segment of the market. Um, Hamilton's committed to building forty-seven thousand um, new homes over the next decade in terms of the the broader market, which is also nearly double what it was before. Um, but you know, as we've been talking about, when you look at the higher um, borrowing and carrying costs, and when you look at a, you know, as I said earlier, a 54% increase in hard construction costs, there are pressures coming from all directions. Um, and we also don't necessarily have the labor supply to achieve that. Um, you know, there's just not enough skilled trades, be it uh, plumbers, carpenters, uh, the folks actually uh, needing to build these homes, which, you know, you sort of ask the question, who's going to swing the hammer? Um, and in our community, the housing is getting much more expensive. So it's that much more difficult for the very people that we need to build new communities, new schools, new roads, new houses to actually be able to afford to live in Hamilton. So, um, th there's challenges in all directions. A lot of challenges for home buyers and certainly as you just heard home builders as well. Mike, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Mike Collins-Williams is the CEO of the West End Home Builders Association with a dose of reality of, yeah, how, it, how expensive it is to build housing units in this community and beyond. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Is Premier Doug Ford using his personal cell phone for government business to avoid accountability? Well, Ontario's Integrity Commissioner 
it sounds like, is about to find out. And we're about to find out some more details on this story from Colin DeMello, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News. Colin, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Why is the Premier on the hot seat over his cell phone? What has been going on? Yeah, so there are strict rules at Queen's Park for any political operative in terms of what you can use to communicate for government business and what you can't use. And what, while a lot of politicians end up coming into politics with their own personal cell phone and then they're issued a government cell phone, the expectation is, is that you would use government resources to do government business so that taxpayers can have some kind of a transparent view of exactly what you're doing. So, you know, if you make a decision, there's a kind of a chain of information or communications that would lead one to understand how it is that the government came up about that particular decision. Well, when it comes to the premier, the premier has a government issued cell phone, but he tends to rely quite heavily on his personal device. And Global News, we know this because we filed a Freedom of Information Act request to try to access the premier's cell phone records. Now, when we asked for this, we didn't specify which cell phone records. We just said we want his cell phone records for one particular week in November of 2022, when we know the premier had said he'd been receiving phone calls from people that led him to make a, a massive legislative change. The government said, well, ha hang on. There, there actually are no records on his government cell phone, meaning he hadn't actually used it in that week. And we then came to realize that the premier is solely relying on his private cell phone. So why is that a problem? I, I mean, you know, the premier will often mix a lot of business and personal items, but the premier hands out his cell phone number to everyone, right? Whether you're a voter, you're a taxpayer, or whether you're even a CEO or a business leader who has private interests in the Ontario government. And so the question is, who has access to Premier Doug Ford? And how does that access translate into government decisions? So if you look at the green belt, you know, did developers have direct access to the premier? Um, there are rules if you lobby the Ontario government that you have to register with the integrity commissioner as an official lobbyist. But if you call the premier, you might not necessarily have to register. So there are a lot of questions about how the premier uses his cell phone, whether he's communicating with private interests about government business on that cell phone. And then really, what, what window do you and I, as the voter, as the taxpayers, the people who are kind of funding the entire government, have what, what kind of a line of sight do we have into the premier's phone calls and who ultimately gets to influence the premier and his decisions? Really fascinating. Ontario's former privacy commissioner, Anne Kavalkian, said there's no transparency in this case. We're, we're in a black hole of accountability. What is the premier's office saying? We asked the premier's office for this, uh, for a response to this about why the premier uses his private cell phone all the time as opposed to his government cell phone. We've not heard a single word for them. Uh, the, the other thing that is happening, though, is so Global News filed this information, uh, this Freedom of Information Act request, and the government is actively fighting us to release. I think we lost uh, Colin. Did he mute himself? These oh, records. So we're currently in an arbitration process with the government. We're making arguments for what? I think we're having def technical difficulties with can Colin. Yeah, we can hear you now. And now oh, we perfect. Can. Uh, yeah, so, so, so we are actively fighting the um, the government to get these records released because the government does not want to 
release these records for whatever reason, and they're actively fighting us. And so I think, you know, from from a transparency perspective, everything in government should be transparent, because ultimately, these decisions are being made on our behalf. And, you know, we as voters don't really get to have a say uh, until four years later. And so in between, it's really the journalists who have to try to get as much transparency as possible from the government, which is why we're still tr trying to fight to get these records. But the premier's office hasn't really said much about exactly why the premier doesn't use a government-issued cell phone for government business. If if the premier is doing this, and we know he has a history with his cell phone, it's, it's part of his brand. He's reaching out to, well, the, the, the common voter, the, the taxpayer, you mentioned the CEOs. He's, he's always accessible, or at least that's the image he, he wants to portray. Is there a fear that other ministers or MPPs are doing the same? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, in fact, the Auditor General in her Greenbelt report uh, found out last week that some government staffers were communicating with developers via private email. They would get emails on their private, maybe Gmail accounts, but not sure, uh, from a developer, and then they would forward that to their government uh, email addresses. The Auditor General, uh, you know, told the government to remind everyone that you're not supposed to be using any private email in order to communicate with people. But we've been hearing about all sorts of communications tools, right? When when the liberals were in power and BlackBerry was around, the BlackBerry messenger tool, the pin tool where, you know, it was, it was private uh, communication, that wasn't really subject to the FOI laws, so people would use that. We've heard of people using, um, you know, uh, Twitter direct messages, they use uh, Microsoft Teams uh, to, to communicate so that it's not necessarily an email. Uh, they also use things like Signal, we've heard, which is, you know, which has messages that actually disappear. Uh, and even Snapchat uh, to to uh, to have conversations. So there are many ways to skirt the rules, um, but ultimately all of that leads to you know greater uh, a lack of transparency, eroding transparency for taxpayers and voters uh, who who should have you know good access and a good view, a good line of sight into exactly what government's doing and how those decisions are being made. We only got about a minute left. We know that the rules are in place. Uh, people are clearly breaking these rules. What are the penalties, if any? Well, that's the thing. the The integrity commissioner has to investigate these complaints, but the but the penalties are really you know. Uh, slim, if any, right? As an example, if the, the ethics commissioner uh, finds that there has been an ethics violation by any one member of the Ontario legislature, well, it's up to the Ontario legislature itself to decide exactly what the punishment should be. Uh, you know, it could be as serious as maybe losing your seat, but that's up to the legislature. The legislature is currently majority progressive conservative. So you can see that the legislature wouldn't necessarily be the mechanism here to um, to it, it you know deliver any kind of um, any kind of punishment. So really, you know, if you break the laws, there really aren't any <laughs> uh, ways to get around that. The only thing is, if if emails are deleted or if information is deleted, that's where the OPP can get involved, and that's what the Auditor General highlighted. So we'll see where that goes. Well, fascinating stuff, Colin. Thank you for breaking it all down for us today, and enjoy the rest of your day.
My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Colin DeMello is our Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News, breaking down what is a fascinating story. Check it out online at 900chml.com, globalnews.ca. The headline, No Transparency. Premier Doug Ford faces questions over use of personal phones. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It is game day in the Hammer Ticats. Elks tonight. Pre-game show on CHML begins at 6.30. Kickoff at 7.30. And, of course, half hour after the game ends, the fifth quarter brought to you by Eastgate Ford in and around 11 p.m. tonight. I'll be right back here, hopefully talking about a Ticats win. And, well, there are some things to point to. Fresh off a bye week, new guy calling all the plays, and a team that they're hosting that is still searching for their first win. Also, some reinforcements back in the Ticats lineup, including this guy. I'm one part of one side of a three-headed monster on this team and um it's you know i hope i can bring some kind of up and some kind of energy flow and anything i can do to help the team win as dylan Wynn said in yesterday's news conference he's one twelfth of one third of this team <laughs> so you do the math rj broadhead is the play-by-play announcer for the hamilton ticats on the ticats audio network and 900 chml and joins us on good morning hamilton rj welcome back to the show how are you hey rick i'm doing well so let's start with maybe the biggest change in Tiger Town, and that is Scott Milanovic now calling the offensive plays. Now that offensive coordinator Tommy Condell has been given his walking papers, what what kind of change should fans expect? Yeah, I had a chance to talk to Scott and uh, Orlando uh, about the change, and we shouldn't expect too much. We've got a, a few variables in there. Of course, uh, a new play caller coming in, and you can't put all your you can't change all the plays it's just too much plus you've got a young quarterback in in taylor powell who was just learning tommy condell's system now he has to adjust to what scott milanovich wants but i think the good news is milanovich has a a real reputation for developing quarterbacks and this could really work out well for taylor powell who's young he's moldable It'd be some great advice from Milanovic, who most recently was with the Indianapolis Colts in the NFL. So he's he's highly praised for his ability to to coach quarterbacks. But as far as uh, overhauling the offense, I don't think we should expect that. But hopefully Milanovic can um, orchestrate some plays that will work with Taylor Powell and work with the weapons he has on offense. So I'm optimistic the Tiger Cats will get over 20 points for the first time in four games when it comes to the defensive side of the ball dylan Wynn, who we just heard from is making his return he'll play his first game in a long time after coming off a knee injury do you expect a big boost to the defense you know it's funny listening to dylan Wynn about just he's a small part he's he's a huge presence and having him out there makes everybody uh, another two inches taller and 10 pounds heavier he's He's uh, an intense guy. He's a tough guy. He is the epitome of what you want on a defense. I think coming off injury, again, I think we have to temper our expectations, but I don't think Dylan Wynn can can gear down. I think he is just full speed, so that'll be up to the coaches to to, uh, monitor his play and how he's feeling, but I think... That run defense will have a boost with Dylan Wynn, which has been so good over the past, Rick. We all know that as Ticats fans. Teams haven't been able to run on the Ticats. However, this year, in seven of eight games, teams have rushed for over 100 yards. So I expect 
that to be limited with the presence of Dylan Wynn. I expect some pressure on on Trey Ford, the quarterback, although he runs a 4-4. It's tough to track him down. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's a big boost to have Dylan Wynn back in the lineup, and that bodes well for the second half of the season for the Ticats having him back. we got one more minute. Uh, the Elks, 0-9. They just haven't found the solution. They've made a change at quarterback. In a remaining 45 seconds, what are you expecting from them tonight? Yeah, they, they worry me a bit, Rick, to be honest. Uh, they're they're a pretty good team to be winless. Uh, I know from a Ticats perspective, just just beat them, get it done with. Don't be that team that they get their first victory against. Another thing that concerns me is Eugene Lewis is back. He played in the first two games. He's been out the last six, and we know what Eugene Lewis has done against the Ticats in his time with the Montreal Alouettes. So that's another weapon that the Elks will have. Um, they are a good team. But I, I, I'm optimistic, again, that the Tiger Cats can send the Elks away at, at 0-10. But it, it'll be a tough test. They're not an easy team. That record does not show uh, how good they are. I will agree with you. And there's going to be one of these games in the back half of the season that Edmonton wins. Let's just not yep. looking forward to that happening tonight. RJ, appreciate the time. Have a great call tonight. Okay, thanks, Rick. We'll see you soon. You can hear R.J. Broadhead, Luke Tasker, and the rest of the Ticats Audio Network gang tonight starting at 6.30 with our pregame show on 900 CHML. It's Ticats and Elks. Join us for the fifth quarter after the game brought to you by Eastgate Ford. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It will be a bright and shiny day, I am sure, tomorrow at the CNE, yes, the Canadian National Exhibition, back for its 144th year. So there was a real question mark going into last year, but what happened was incredible. We had 1.56 million people arrive here, and that was with some bad weather days, and they spent about double the amount they normally spend. We ended up with about a $15 million surplus coming out. Uh, Huge economic impact to the province and the city. Uh, and we're in good shape right now. That is the CEO of the CNE, Daryl Brown. Uh, really excited about the start of the X, which uh, runs all the way through to Labor Day. Good Morning Hamilton content producer Liz Russell was part of Media Preview Day and is here to talk about all the tasty treats and all the fun exhibitions at the CNE this coming year. Liz, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. So, what did you experience yesterday? Uh, well, right off the bat, when we got there, the first thing that they wanted you to check out was the giant Ferris wheel. You get to see the whole entire CNE grounds. Um, it's a good for when they do their sparkling symphony, which is like a water show. And at night, there will be like lasers and music. It's really cool. Um, and then after that, they took us over to where the farm is. Now, if you've never been to the CNE, the farm is where they have all of their animals. So you see your cows, your butter sculptures, your pigs. But they've split it in half this year. And the other half is a Pink Floyd exhibit, which has music, instruments, lyrics. Like, it's pretty immersive. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And we got to hear uh, a band perform live, like, straight, cut right from the album, but performed live. It was actually really neat. Uh, And then after that, yeah, they took us over and we got to sample some of the food for this year's CNE. I want to get to the food in a second. Did you get on the Ferris wheel, the super wheel as it's being called? Yes, I did get to go on the super wheel. I spoke with a couple other people that were there present for media day. I was lucky. I got one of the air conditioned booths. (laughs) Uh, Someone else did not get an air conditioned booth. (laughs) Wow. And so how high up are you? Uh, 
pretty high. So when I was at the very top of the uh, the Ferris wheel, um, or the super wheel rather, uh, I actually could see the entire soccer stadium, oh, like wow. completely. Like I could see onto the field, there were people playing on there. Like if, if there's an FC game going on that day, you'll be able to <laughs> see all the action. <laughs> Uh, we're talking to uh, Good Morning Hamilton content producer Liz Russell, who attended Media Day at the X yesterday. The CNE opens for the 144th year tomorrow. Uh, okay, let's get into some of the food because that usually makes all the headlines before, during, and maybe even after the CNE. What did you see and what did you get to sample? Now, the big themes for this year, I would I would say, is pickle and pink. There's definitely some of the vendors that are leaning into the Barbie phase, one of them being uh, Eat My Bowls in the food building. They have a Malibu mac and cheese, which is white cheddar, gruyere, Parmesan, and I believe he said also champagne, like a pink champagne. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's on top of a bit fresh baked bread bowl and with a dollop of caviar. It it, it was good. Uh, my I'm not a gruyere person, so it was a little too cheesy for me, but... It's really, really tasty. Uh, there also was the dill pickle cotton candy, which I left for you guys yes, at we're, the station. We're going to try it on the uh, on the round table with Shona and Alicia. Oh, um, one of my favorite things that I actually got to eat a few years ago. They had had a pierogi burger, and I like when they bring back these pierogi dishes. I'm just immediately drawn to them. And this year, they actually have a hot loaded pierogi. So it's got your hot peppers, dill pickles. And fried chicken. And oh my God, I was blown away. (laughs) I want, I could have ate that all day. Uh, Pizza Pizza also has deep fried Pizza Pizza. Um, I didn't get too adventurous with that one. I just stuck with a classic plain cheese pizza, (laughs) deep fried. Good call. Um, I also, oh, I'm so sorry. No, it says good call on not going with the deep fried. I'm just looking at a picture of it, and it just looks like a, well, it looks like if you were to go to a fish and chips place, and the fish is just like a pizza shape only this is actually deep fried pizza so wow now honestly like the skin on that like i hate to say skin because that sounds horrible but uh (laughs) the layer of fried over top of the pizza was actually so delicious like i i was like it's crunchy and it's it's just it's got this really good flavor to it so i do recommend it um it was really tasty. Uh, i also got a little bit adventurous i tried korean fried frog legs okay and survey says it, it's literally it. It's like a deep fried frog leg. It, it you throw it in an air fryer. It's really tasty, and it was covered in a Korean sweet chili sauce. Interesting. Did mm. you get to sample or even see what I'm calling maybe the most bizarre concoction, and that is the watermelon burger? I did see it. I did not taste it. Um, it there was a lot of people that were gravitating towards that booth. So I was like, I'm going to check out all these other areas. Mm. And by the time I left, I did not get a chance to try the watermelon burger. What I did get to try was, uh, it was at the booth right next to it, was the sweet corn lemonade. Okay. Uh, <laughs> which it sounds gross, but honestly, it was sweet and savory at the same time. Interesting. It was- quite tasty anyone uh, uh, who i piqued their interest read the watermelon burger it's basically a hamburger patty and the buns are slices of watermelon i'm not sure how you're gonna eat that but good luck yeah it does also have like feta and mint and some spinach in there with okay. like a little bit of like a balsamic glaze to it it looks quite tasty um 
it just, yeah, I could not get to that booth because there was a lot of people checking uh, that one I out. I imagine so. Uh, we're chatting with the content producer of Good Morning Hamilton, Liz Russell. She was at uh, the CNE yesterday for its media day as a media member's got a preview and uh, telling a, a story of uh, some wild food and a lot of fun that's going to happen at the X. Um, you mentioned Pink Floyd. Elvis Stoiko is also at the X this year as well. What's he up to? Yeah, so there's going to be a new skating show called Time Flies. It's part ice skating, part acrobatics. Um, so that uh, he's back to do another show, and it'll be with the help of some popular songs that have uh, kind of stood out stood out over the test of time. Uh, he'll be performing alongside other skaters with that. So there's also a few other things that are new this year, including uh, the Monster Compound Experience, which is basically a whole bunch of skateboarding. Uh, they're going to be writing like a custom built half pipe. Uh, that was pretty neat. We did yesterday during the opening ceremony. It was opened alongside Tainomi Banks. Uh, this year, drag is going to the CNE band show for one day. Uh, so there's going to be a drag show at the CNE this year, which is pretty exciting. Um, uh, and then, of course, just the staples that are going to be back this year. You know, you're going to have your super dogs. Uh, the Midway is obviously back. I got to try out one of the games yesterday and. You know, you can't go wrong with the Midway. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, rides, a whole lot of fun, prizes to be won, weird food to try. And there's some normal food there as well. And it looks like it's going to be a great time starting tomorrow, the 144th edition of the CNE. Uh, Liz, thanks for uh, the the sample of the, the pickle cotton candy. We'll sample it later on this morning. And thanks for the time this morning. Thanks. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. <laughs> Liz Russell, content producer for Good Morning Hamilton, taking in the X yesterday. And you can, too, starting tomorrow, and it runs through to Labor Day. Hey, the new Lotto 649, you can find your possible with two multi-million dollar jackpots. The classic jackpot is at $5 million. And the new gold ball jackpot has now risen to $46 million. Listen for your chance to win a $100 Lotto 649 plus Encore voucher on Good Morning Hamilton. When you hear the 7.30 news, call us when you hear the OLG winner sound effect after the news and tell us what was the number one story in that newscast. The first person to do so will win a $100 Lotto 649 plus Encore voucher. You are minutes away from another check of weather and traffic, actually seconds away from another check of weather and traffic, and a few minutes away from what is happening in entertainment, including another record for Barbie that's coming up next here on Good Morning Hamilton. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.